Our text today comes from the letter of the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. It's on page 951, if you want to follow along. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Please pray with me. Holy God, we do thank you for your words of truth and grace and love and salvation. And now as I dare to share about your word, Lord, your holy word. Speak through this imperfect vessel so that my words, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts may be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's been a few years, actually, since I've preached here, and I'm a little bit nervous. I don't know why. <laughs> but it's really wonderful to be here. And I am especially humbled to reflect on God's word today because we have celebrated God's claim of love and grace on Audrey and Weston, and that's just such a wonderful, wonderful experience. As we receive them into the body of Christ, as this church pledges support and nurture in teaching them the ways of Christ, may you all rejoice in watching these precious children of God as they start their new life of faith, love, and service. 
Not everyone believes in child baptisms. You probably know that there are different traditions around baptisms. In fact, um, as I walked in, I actually did do the little thing with <laughs> the water, thinking you always had that bowl there. <laughs> but there are different traditions with baptism beliefs. Um, but it's actually kind of a big deal for Presbyterians. Uh, by baptize, baptizing children, even before they are able to proclaim their faith, we recognize God's initiative in extending grace to them because really there isn't anything that any of us can do to earn God's grace, no matter how old we are. And so we celebrate God's free gift of grace through baptism. And as a community of faith, you are pledging to raise these children as disciples of Jesus so that they can affirm their faith when they get older. Now, I have to confess that too often I fear the church members, sometimes they just kind of go through that motion and pledging their support, or possibly we talk about baptizing children and then we all stay as children. But I know better about Knox, and I think of you as a church who are made up of exceptionally committed disciples because I know that some of you have come to Pasadena and therefore to Knox as graduate students in Christian leadership and service. And so I praise God for the discipleship and the service and the growth that happens at this church. I'm so thankful for this because as a cradle Presbyterian, I have come to think of today's scripture passage as a great guide for how I understand it means to be disciples of Christ, especially in the Presbyterian tradition. Now, of course, the scripture is not comprehensive, but Paul provides great and profound guidance on the Christian life. We celebrate being claimed by God and saved by Christ once for our whole lives through baptism. But we don't stop there. We are given many gifts as we have great responsibility to use them as Christ calls us. We tend to assume our members have a mature faith already. After all, you know our very name Presbyterian means kind of that we're old people. <laughs> now, this may be a challenge actually in a post-Christian world because even as we bring adults into the church and we uh, preach the gospel to them, we can't always assume that they um, have Christian roots, and so we really need to form people from wherever they are and whatever experience they have of the gospel. Third, we believe that in all things, in worship, mission, discernment, fellowship, of course, pastoral care, we are to live in community. As a matter of fact, a year ago, we ratified a new directory for worship, and the section on baptism includes a new assertion, and that is, no one comes to baptism alone. We are encouraged by family or friends and surrounded by the community of faith. No one comes to baptism alone. We Presbyterians love the idea of community so much that we don't just rely on the local community of faith, though obviously you are extremely important, but also we have a community of communities, the Presbytery. And then you can turn to the Presbytery for added support or to join together in shared mission. 
And then we keep expanding the circle as we gather in synods, in the General Assembly, as Matt mentioned, which is the national level. And then we also join in partnerships with ecumenical and interfaith groups. And so we are connected. We do have these ligaments among us, even those that we may not be aware of. So you may not know, but I pray for you. I give thanks for you. I even brag about you. And I treasure the connections that I have with several Knox folk. We have Presbytery leaders like Matt and Allie and Lisa Lamb. I have dear, dear old friends like Stacy Thompson Rispin and Jim Rispin, mentors like Bryce Little, and newer friends who are coming into the life of the Presbytery, such as Annalise Thomas, and then of course, Mike Veerman, Steve Wiebe, Todd Bolsinger, there are several people in your community who I already know in different ways and I give thanks for. Now this emphasis on community and connections, sometimes they can be a little uncomfortable. In fact, our commitment to community can be countercultural because we live now in a society that is individualistic and it doesn't really understand or support the life of faith. As one leader of the church said, we are a do-it-together church in a do-it-yourself world. And having served both congregational and Presbyterian church settings, I can actually see even the difference between those two traditions and how sometimes it may seem that we Presbyterians have an almost dogged reliance on group discernment and process. Um, it helps to keep us together, it helps to try to keep us all moving in the same direction, but it also greatly hampers progress. As we attempt to involve everyone in deciding how we will be church together, Presbyterian decision-making, I used to say it's kind of glacial-like, but actually a more active way of looking at it is we're kind of like a three-legged race times a million. <laughs> this corporate discernment, along with the expectation that all are invited to speak their minds, leads to our reputation as a church that sometimes gets a little bit locked in debate. It's no wonder that one of the Presbyterian colleges, there's a, a Presbyterian, old Presbyterian college in Michigan called Alma College, you know what their team name was for a long time? The Fighting Presbyterians. <laughs> now, for myself, I've always assumed that we consider arguing to be a spiritual practice in the Presbyterian Church. And today's scripture passage gives this some credence. I've always been impressed that Paul would use the metaphor of the human body in an almost scientific way to describe Christ's church even to the point of identifying our connections as joints or ligaments, and how Paul encourages us to build up the body in love. Now, I'm of the age, and I remember when I was growing up that there was something about isometrics or resistance training, and even then as a kid, I remember thinking, ah, maybe that's why we argue so much. It's good exercise for the body to have that kind of resistance to work with. After all, Paul does encourage us to speak the truth in love. You've heard that term, right? Speak the truth in love. Now, 
Sometimes that can be kind of strenuous when we speak the truth in love, but it is an important, important part of the building of the body. But honestly, I do see value in it because I actually have seen the risks in not bearing differing, um, not hearing differing experiences and perspectives in, in the decision-making process. Um, as I mentioned, I served a congregational church and one executive there said about his Presbyterian colleagues, he we were talking about the rigor with which Presbyterians guide and challenge our candidates for ministry because congregationalists tend to be a little bit more easygoing and everybody kind of believes and congregations believe for themselves. But we kind of have this set of confessions and we have expectations. And because we have some rigor in the process, he thought that we Presbyterians help to refine our ability to articulate our faith and to explain why we believe what we believe. This summer's General Assembly, which I will talk about later, um, was actually an example where some people thought it was great because there were very few critical voices this year. And again, we often spend quite a bit of time arguing in General Assembly. This time we didn't. But what happened was at the end of the assembly, we realized that there were some pretty costly decisions made that maybe if there were a little bit more critical voices, they might have realized that they should have thought a little harder about the decisions that they made. If we are all well represented by the scripture passage, we can be thankful, but I actually think there's one place where we might be deficient. And that is that after decades and decades of discussions and initiatives to become more racially diverse, the PCUSA as a denomination is still 90% white, 90% Caucasian. Now, San Gabriel Presbytery is a little bit different. Not only are we little, um, not in members, we're actually mid-size in membership, but we are the smallest geographic presbytery. We actually go from Eagle Rock to Pomona, but that's the smallest presbytery in the denomination. Our neighboring presbytery, which is Riverside, goes from upland all the way to the California border. And whereas the denomination nationally is 90% white, San Gabriel's membership is closer to 50-50. About half of the membership are people of color. I remember once telling that to the synod executive and she said, Oh, yeah, yeah, I know San Gabriel Valley is about half people of color. I said, no, San Gabriel Valley is, actually, San Gabriel Valley is three-quarters people of color. The presbytery is 50%. Of our 40 churches, 22 have at least one significant immigrant population, and a 23rd is historically people of color. Our churches worship in nine different languages, and they are made up of 11 main culture groups. We actually hope to start a 12th soon because we had a couple of African-American historically black churches, but um, they were closed down. And that's actually a huge hole for us because what that means is that there's no black Presbyterian church between Los Angeles and Phoenix, Arizona. 
So we're actually hoping to start a new church. This diversity within our churches, but also among the different cultural groups in our churches, they have made us a source of wisdom, challenge, and actually a little bit of intrigue to the rest of the denomination. I've actually had people from National call me up and say, can we like come visit or can we talk to you because we don't know other, denom uh, other presbyteries that have quite the mix that you do. I confess, though, that I don't know what we've gotten, that we've gotten as much of this bodybuilding exercise that you would think that we would get from the diversity. Although I have heard some people of color say that they feel more welcome and included in this presbytery, and a few of the majority culture folk really love being here because they find it invigorating to live with and to minister with people from all over the world. The clearest benefit that I see in our presbytery in this um, connection of many languages and many cultures, um, besides, of course, there is an added vitality and commitment with immigrant churches. But the most um, prevalent experience that I see is that we are able to have mission opportunities through the firsthand experiences and connections of many of the people in our churches. Within, um, Within our churches, um, we've been able, and because of the connections with our churches, we've been able to support a church building project in the Philippines. Uh, we have um, helped with rebuilding after the earthquake in Mexico. Uh, one group, went, a church went to serve spiritual, emotional, and educational needs of Yazidi and Christian refugees in Erbil in the refugee camps in Erbil in northern Iraq. We have advocated for unaccompanied minors from Central America. We are employing a DACA dreamer who's a member of one of our churches. We enjoy a close relationship with the Synod of the Nile. We wit and we're witnessing the reconciling love in two different churches that actually have partnerships between peoples who have frankly been enemies in the past. Um, one is a Korean church that is supporting a Japanese church. And then in the other, it's a Taiwanese uh, church with a mainland Chinese church. Or they're not churches, they're actually services within the same church, which actually makes it harder <laughs> because they're all in the same session. But this is a great witness to the reconciling love in Jesus Christ as people are willing to worship together and see each other as sisters and brothers, even in spite of past um, oppression and um, past wars, frankly. So one could say that as we welcome more diverse members to the body, the more gifts, perspectives, connections, opportunities for mission, opportunities for reconciliation and learning, those all do build up our body. And so as we develop these new ligaments, so to speak, we cannot help but mature in the ways this passage calls us to be. Able, yet humble. Imperfect, yet empowered. Diverse, yet connected. And blessed with gifts and each other, so that together we may bless others. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as I consider these words and I've been thinking about this, and as I celebrate with you the baptism of Jesus's youngest disciples, I can't help but also think about one who has just ended his mortal life. 
As people reminisce about Senator John McCain, they share how he was humble enough to joke about how he was the fifth from the bottom of his class at Annapolis. <laughs> and yet he was able to lead in whatever context he was in. Whenever he would talk about his service, he would also point out that he was imperfect and he made mistakes. And yet his heroism was unsurpassed. Most of all, he is remembered for his firm conviction and service for something greater than himself and his great love and his collaboration for a remarkably diverse group of colleagues, people who didn't agree with him on most things, and yet they were willing to work together on some things and to respect and love each other in all things. Perhaps that is what Christian maturity looks like. We know ourselves well enough to know our limitations. We know ourselves well enough to face up to our mistakes. But we don't let that stop us from using our plentiful gifts in bold and faithful obedience to our calling. And we have learned in our lives that God is gracious and will continue to work through us no matter how imperfect we are. We must speak the truth in love and not allow others to trick us or to distract us from the righteous mission before us. And most of all, we are mature enough to know that we cannot go it alone. We can only accomplish the mission that God has given us when we work together, bound by our unity as God's people, a shared commission, commitment to Jesus as our head, and that unity which is made all the deeper and richer when we recognize our personal and our background differences. So may we know our individual relationships with Jesus Christ, and may we join with the other members of this body to serve our Lord as one humble, strong, gifted, inviting, loving, truth-telling, well-coordinated, mature body of grace for this hurting world. Please pray with me. Holy and eternal God, we thank you for the growth, the blessings, and your love that we experience in our life in Jesus Christ. We thank you for this church family here at Knox Presbyterian, for celebrating new baptisms and maturing discipleship as we continue to learn and deepen our faith through serving you. As we step forward in faith, I ask that you watch and uplift each member of this body giving them the courage to be obedient and trusting in all efforts that are true to you. For all the new challenges and persevering callings we have, I ask for your clear guidance. In the midst of challenge, send us assurance. And through times of celebration, times of loss, moments of glory and moments of uncertainty, we thank you for a community that helps us carry each other through the hard times, knowing that as we gather in Jesus' name, you are there. God of prophets and apostles, in your creative power and great mercy, you have gifted all of us and entrusted us with your message of love and saving grace to the world. We are humbled that you would have that kind of faith in us. 
Give us your power, guidance, and reassurance that leads to courage. Be the wind in our sails, the joy in our hearts, that together we may further your mission through Knox Presbyterian Church. Thank you for all the communities of faith that have taught us about you and for this community of faith and the way we reflect your shining light to a dark world. May our partnership be fruitful and pleasing to you, O Lord. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus, the head of this church. Amen.